back in 1969. At that time, I was a reclusive bachelor eking out a living writing pulp fiction for paperbacks and men's magazines. After years of pounding a typewriter while chain-smoking and constantly drinking coffee, my chronic indigestion finally turned into gut-wrenching stomach pains. The condition was misdiagnosed as an ulcer. Now, at that time, ulcers were thought to be psychosomatic, so being a macho former Green Beret, I wasn't about to become Casper and have to eat milk toast. No sissy neurotic disease like an ulcer was going to change my lifestyle. So I set out to heal myself through mastering self-hypnosis. In desperation, I learned the art quickly and was able to suppress the pain. But then it would come back, and it would be even worse. And I, I took myself about as deep into trance as anyone has ever gone, but I could not heal that ulcer. Because, as the doctors finally discovered when I was almost dead, I was carrying within me a gallbladder that had turned to solid rock. In the latter stages of my illness, I was in a state that I now realize was a toxic psychosis. In my desperate attempt to cure myself, I had gone beyond self-hypnosis into the study of Tibetan Tantric Yoga, and finally to what was, at that time, the least known and most forbidden of all the spiritual paths, Western Ritual Magic. I had been studying books about Western ceremonial magic, and even the old grimoires themselves, the medieval Key of Solomon, and the more notorious Goetia of the Lamegaton, the so-called Lesser Key, which catalogued and described the 72 genie of the Arabian Nights that old King Solomon had imprisoned in a fabulous brass vessel. In my irrational state, I was totally convinced that there was a hidden truth behind this fantastic story. Like Aladdin's wonderful lamp or Alibaba's open sesame, there was a secret key to calling up those mighty princes of the jinn that Solomon had imprisoned so long ago, and I was determined to find it. I studied the writings of the ancient and modern magicians. They had filled their books with the most detailed instructions on how to build, inscribe, and decorate all the necessary equipment, all the signatures of the spirits, and even the hours during which to summon them. Conjurations and names of power were all set forth, complete and ready to recite. Hear me and make all spirits subject unto me, so that every spirit of the firmament and of the aether, upon the earth and under the earth, on dry land and in the waters, of whirling air and of rushing fire, and every spell and scourge of God may be obedient unto me. Wonderful, powerful. All you have to do is recite it aloud, and you can feel the hairs start to rise on the back of your neck. But where, how, and in what form are these spirits we're summoning supposed to appear? That one all-important element, how to make the spirit physically appear, was always missing from the old grimoires. Now, I knew that over a dozen ancient and modern writers on magic couldn't be involved in one big long-standing conspiracy to suppress this final secret, so it seemed obvious that at some time in the past the key to the magical art had been lost, 
and the modern writers and experimenters just simply didn't know how it was done. This suspicion turned out to be true. Turn of the last century, the famous, or if you prefer infamous, magician, Aleister Crowley, had tried to conjure one of the Lamegaton's Goetia demons out of incense smoke. And, not surprisingly, he had very little success after a great deal of effort. This did not surprise me. Trying to form an image or commanding a spirit to produce an image out of curling, twisting smoke was more of an experiment in telekinesis than a vision from beyond. Aleister Crowley did not possess the secret technique, but he certainly understood the philosophy. He stated clearly in his 1904 edition of the Goetia of the Lamegaton that the spirits of Solomon's brass vessel are portions of the human brain. Even though I might have been temporarily insane at the time, I had lost none of my intellect.